Today's scripture will be from Matthew chapter 23, beginning in verse 3. And if you would please stand. Oh, you're already standing. (laughs) Um, We're going to be jumping between a few different sections in chapter 23. um, And these are all different. Each of these sections is Jesus addressing the Pharisees. So chapter 23, beginning in verse 3. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the, the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues. And now jump to verse 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of God, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Now jump to verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of your cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like all, for you are like well whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. It's good to be here. I'm very excited. Shane gave me the opportunity to uh, to preach today. Need to be praying for them. I got on the internet and I looked at the group. And it was like I don't know. I counted them. It was like 30, 30 something people. I'm like. How many? I'm like, ain't nobody going to be here. That's okay, right? So it's a big group. We need to remember them uh, as they are down there ministering and helping uh, helping with camp, I believe. Uh, but happy Father's Day. It's good to be here. A lot of people not here. Uh, some traveling. Uh, some, some are sick. But uh, I'm glad you made it today. I know there's many, uh, you know, Facebook and social media, they've got some plus. they got a lot of minuses. And the minuses is, it's not church. Face it, if you're at home watching Facebook and that's your church, you don't get it. It's not church. But I am grateful that we do have many of our members uh, that are on vacation. Uh, Cindy and Jeff Morris, if they're watching, I'm sure Jeff is on the beach right now, so he's suffering. But I know they're watching. So uh, welcome. It's good to have you here. Uh, uh, on Father's Day. And just briefly about fathers, I was reading some uh, statistics that a friend of mine sent me today, and I'm not going to go into them, but one of them, and this was, I think, taken a few years ago, there are 18 million fatherless homes in America where there's not a father in a home. And that's sad. And that's, that's not God's plan. Some of you, I know your fathers have, some of them have passed on uh, some, uh, some are not in your lives. I remember, I guess I was three, four, maybe five years old. I can't remember, but my, uh, my mother and daddy divorced. It was me and my brother and, 
And, and so my mother and daddy divorced. And if you asked me, uh, man, how was your life, Phil? How was your life living growing up? And we grew up with mama. I mean, she was very young when she had my brother and she was very young when she had me. And so we just kind of grew up together. And how was your life? You know what I'd say? Man, it was awesome. We had such a great time. It was awesome. And it was awesome. And, and we, we saw dad, you know, every week we saw daddy. And, and I'm real close to my daddy now, real close. We talk, there's not too many days that doesn't pass that we're not talking. But the reality is uh, there was consequences for, not, for a father not being at home. Uh, when I got married, I had no clue how to treat my wife. Now, I was saved. When I, was a, I was a newborn, right? Fresh, saved. But I never had that modeled in front of me. I didn't know how to love her. I didn't know how to treat her. When we started having children. I didn't know what to do. But, and that's, that's some of the consequences of, of, of not having that modeled in front of you. But I read the scripture. I think we got it. Uh, it's in, uh, and put it up on the screen, Matthew. And this is good news for everybody, no matter what condition your life is in. Uh, Matthew 12, 46 through 50. While he was speaking to the people, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man and told them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Praise God for that. Pray, hey, if you're in Christ, welcome to the family, right? We actually experienced a little bit of that this morning in a small group where we just sit and talk. And we have sisters here who are not physical sisters, but yet may be closer than any earthly relationship. Man, that's good news. Praise the Lord for that. Well, anyway, Shane said, uh, Phil, he said last week, and when he said, he said, he's going to preach a, father, a Father's Day message, which he was right, but it's going to be the Father's Day message. And I'm real excited about it. I studied this a while back, and I wanted to speak on this. But before we get into the scripture, I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to meditate on these questions, right? Ask them to yourself. You ready? Question number one. Think about it. What brings you joy? Think about it. Let things start coming in your brain. What brings you joy? Man, I got, man, my, I got a list going pop, 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 pop right now in my brain. What brings you joy? Meditate on that. And as we get through the scripture, we're going to come at the end of it, we're going to come to a parable. It's the parable often called uh, the prodigal son. I want you to ask yourself as we go through this, is my attitude like the, the prodigal, the younger brother, or is the, my attitude like, uh, like the older brother? Most would say, uh, I know who I am. I'm the prodigal. Just, just, keep, just hang in there and think. So turn your Bibles to chapter 15 of Luke. Luke 15. I think this is the most preached I know the most preached parable out there, you know, it's one of the most, uh, when I turn on TV, you know, three times out of 10, they're talking about 
the prodigal son. And it's a great passage. We learn a lot of things about the prodigal son. We, we learn that what repentance looks like, which is awesome. We learn what a sinner is, what repentance looks like. We learn what a father's love looks like. Those things are, are awesome. But here's the deal. Don't throw me under the bus. You ready? The prodigal son is, has nothing to do with the prodigal son. Remember that. Don't kick me out yet. We're going to go through it. This parable is one of three. Jesus is talking to people. There are three parables. This just so happens to be the third one. They all say the same thing. And so to understand the third one, you need to understand the first two. Okay? So when studying scripture, uh, no matter what it is, especially parables, we have a tendency to, to read scripture and then, and then bring it to the 21st century and somehow another make it about us. We can't do that. What we got to do to understand scripture correctly and get the right interpretation, we got to go back. We got to go back. What did it mean when he said it? What did it mean when he was telling them? And what it meant to them is what it means to us. So remember that as we study scripture. And you have to and keep this in mind also, uh, knowing the culture, honor and integrity have, are a big deal. In a society, honor and integrity are a big deal. The last thing that you wanted to do is to bring shame on your family. You did not want to do that. So in the text here, Christ is approaching the end of his ministry. Uh, he's preaching the kingdom. Repent. The kingdom, repent. And always you notice in the crowds of people, on the outskirts of the people, you'd have, you'd have a group of people called the Pharisees. They were watching. They were listening. Guess what? They didn't like it. They were grumbling. They were in every town. They were in every village. They dominated the culture. They dominated the, the synagogues. Everything revolved around them and what they were doing. They were self-righteous. They believed that you earn your way into the kingdom by being good and obeying the law, fulfilling all the ceremonies that were required of you. They, were, they thought they were holy and pure, and they didn't like Christ, and they definitely did not like him around sinners. They didn't associate with sinners at all. So before we get into Scripture, chapter 15, if you got your Bible, look at 14, the last sentence. I like this. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You got that? Jesus. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our first point, sinners draw near, the self-righteous grumble. Verse 15. Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So let's set the scene. Jesus is speaking. He's talking. Uh, who's drawing near? The tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes. 
All these people are beginning to gather around Christ. And the Pharisees view these people as wretched, vile, despicable sinners. They couldn't stand them. In uh, Luke uh, 5.27, just to give you a little glimpse of how they do. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and he followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And the Pharisees and the, and the scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. These were in the eyes of the Pharisees. Well, they, they, the tax collectors, think about what is a tax collector. You know, what is it? Do y'all like tax collectors? No, you don't. But you just have to think about it. Israel, look, they were in Rome. Look, there was God's nation, but this nation was under the control of Rome and Caesar. And so not only part of the, the law to Israel, they had to pay their, their taxes to run the nation, but then they would have to pay taxes to Caesar in Rome. So what would happen is a Jew would, would sell out, buy a franchise to be a tax collector for for Caesar, which they, the Jews couldn't stand, he would go to the Jews and get taxes and, and many times gouge the people and take more. And, sick. and so, so a tax collector was one of the worst, worst things you could be. And so uh, they couldn't socialize with any other Jews. They were not ever permitted in the synagogues. Uh, they were viewed as unclean. unclean. Uh, and in, that, in this time period, the Pharisees had, they created two groups of people. Now, there's words for these groups. I can't pronounce them. Quiet class, I'm not a real good Taylor watching. So uh, I'm only going to attempt to say what, what the groups are called. But here's the deal. It's us and it's them. It's the holy and righteous, the people of God, the law keepers. And then there's the sinner. And that's how they operated. They were so, so far from God. They stayed in their holy huddles. And what's interesting is they prided themselves on being uh, the law teachers. They had God's word. They knew God's word. And they were the law teachers. But there's a problem. They withheld the law from sinners. The nation that God chose to be the light to the world. Remember the Abrahamic covenant? I'm going to say people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, from all people groups, I'm going to save. And Israel was going to be the nation that he shows the world, this is who I am, except the religious leader says, we ain't giving it to them. They don't deserve it. They're sinners. They don't deserve it. So it says in verse 2, they, they grumble. This man received sinners. And Christ was right there with them, right there with them. He wasn't doing what they did, but he was right there with them. You ever heard that saying, let the boat be in the water, but not the water in the boat? That's what Christ was doing. Guess what? He spoke, what did sinners do? They draw near, and what did he do? 
He loved them and shared truth with them. That's what he did. Anyway, that's the first two verses. So we're going to hear three parables. The first two parables are really neat. Jesus is drawing them in, and I love that. He draws them in in the form of a question. So what he's asking them to do in these first two parables is saying, look, Pharisee, put yourself in this position. What would you do? Okay, put yourself in uh, this position. So point two, rejoice, the sheep has been found. And he starts it off with a question. Verse three says, so he told him this parable, what man of you having, now they got to think. He's asking them to think. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, go, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he, when he comes home, he calls his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Look, this isn't rocket science. This is a very, very easy story to understand. It's about sheep. And Jesus is asking them, Pharisee, what if you had a hundred sheep? Now think about this. He didn't say shepherd here. He says, what man of you? But it's obvious. Who keeps sheep? Who does? Okay, Pharisee, think of yourself as a shepherd. <gasps> really? A shepherd? They couldn't stand. They were the lowliest people on the totem pole. Keeping dirty animals. And you want me to think of myself as a shepherd? A shepherd has several, uh, several jobs, but the number one job is what? Don't lose sheep. During the night, you know, at night they would uh, bring the sheep in. There, there would be a pen, and, and what would happen, the hireling shepherd would lay right there at the gate and uh, where nothing would get in and get the sheep. That's what they would do at night. But, but during the day, they would let them out into the open, open fields, and they would, they would graze. And, and sheep, I don't know, I'm sure you do know this, they're not the brightest animal. Sheep are very, very dumb. Sheep have no defense mechanism. They're really, they're stupid. So when you take them out, and if one begins to wander away, guess what? He probably ain't coming back. But no matter what, the shepherd had his number one responsibility, don't lose the sheep. Don't do it. You cannot do it. I don't care what it takes. You may walk out around the corner and you, and you, you come around the tree and there's a lion with the sheep in the, in the mouth of a lion. You know what? You better get the sheep. Well, he's dead. Grab a leg. Bring it back. You got to bring that sheep home. It's your job. It's your responsibility to do that. So they're, they're dumb animals. So now the Pharisees have to think. Now, if a sheep, now sheep, look, they're dumb, they're stupid, but they are valuable, right? They are valuable. What would you do, Pharisee? Would this be a good thing 
for the shepherd to go after the sheep? They would have to admit, yeah, that would be a good thing. I mean, yeah, they're dirty, whatever, but a good man, a good moral person would go after the sheep. That would be the right thing to do. Oh, he's pulling them in. He's pulling them in. I hope you see it. Verse 5, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and he's rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. He's rejoicing. It doesn't say that when he found his sheep, he beat the sheep. Or when he found the sheep, he was, he was so disgusted. He was so mad. What does it say? He rejoiced. He rejoiced when his sheep was found. He puts it on his shoulders. And, and them sheep, you know, they weigh upwards of, what, 75 pounds? Anybody got any sheep? I'm surprised Shane don't. But anyway, he's got horses and chickens. Do I? Y'all got sheep? <laughs> yeah, sheep can get pretty heavy. So the shepherd, you know, those guys wasn't real big back in the day, I don't think. Puts the sheep on his shoulders and rejoices and carries the sheep back. And everybody celebrates why the sheep has been found. Verse 7 says, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Guess who the 99 are? It's the religious Pharisees. They didn't need no repentance. They were God's people. They knew the law. They were perfect, but yet they were so far from God. They had no relationship with him at all. So God in his, in Christ, the shepherd is incarnate in Christ, is the shepherd who seeks the lost. Luke 19.10. The son of man is come to seek and save that which is lost. It is God in Christ who not only seeks but finds. And Peter says, it is he, it is the great shepherd of our souls who comes after us and finds us. He says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Verse 15, I lay my life, I lay down my life for the sheep. He is the shepherd who pays whatever, whatever the sacrifice to bring back his sheep. Here's the deal. Heaven rejoices and you grumble. You grumble. And so he goes after that. I'm, I'm wondering if it's sinking into the Pharisees now. After that, he goes to another, another story. He starts with a question. You have to think about, again, go back. This isn't downtown Munford or Covington or downtown Memphis, right? You got Israel. You got all these little villages everywhere. You got these dust roads going everywhere. Uh, their house probably looks a little bit different than your house. Uh, most of them made out of brick and straw. Most of the time, the floors were, were dirt. And, and the houses were fairly dark, you know. They don't have big, beautiful glass windows where light shines in and they're able to see real well. And so he began, and most of them, you know, didn't have a lot of money. They were, they were modest, most of them poor, right? And so we notice point three, rejoice 
the coin has been found. And here we go. Jesus is going to ask him another question. I love this. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? Look, the first parable, what if you were a shepherd? They couldn't stand that. I can't even let my mind go there. The second, what if you were a woman? Oh, they didn't like that either. They got up uh, several times a day, and here was their prayer. I thank you, O oh God, that I'm not a woman. They would be a shepherd. They wouldn't be a shepherd, and they certainly would never, ever think like a woman or put themselves in a story like a woman. This was, this riled their feathers, I'm sure. This woman, this woman has 10 coins, okay? The story before us had 100 sheep. Notice, 100 sheep, one was lost, and he goes and gets it. Rejoice. Now we see a woman with 10 coins. Oh, we didn't up the ante a little bit. We're at... 10%, and I can see Jesus slowly pulling them in, ready to drop the bomb right there at the end. Doesn't really say why she has 10 coins, but we know that in the culture, fathers many times would leave diaries to their, their daughters, and that could be the case. That could be what the 10 coins are. Uh, sometimes husbands would give their wives a dowry, and what they would do is some of these coins had... Uh, they were pierced and they would put the string in them and put them around their neck. That's what it, that's what it could be. We don't know exactly what it is. You know, a lot of times they would wear them or they would tie them up in a little rag and put a knot in it. It'd be like a, a little purse. But she had 10 coins. We don't know why. We just know that these were valuable coins. If she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently. Diligi I can't even say that word diligently. That's good, right? Until she diligently, until she finds it. Whatever it takes, she's going to find that coin. It's dark inside. She takes a lamp. She sweeps around. I'm sure she was on her hands and knees going through that dirt, looking in every, every uh, crack, every crevice. It was an inanimate object. It wasn't like it was going to say, hey, I'm over here. Mama, look over here. No. It was her job to find the coin. It was very valuable to her. It was her job, and she was going to find it. The shepherd seeks. The shepherd finds. The woman seeks, and the woman finds. Verse 9 says, And when she has found it, she calls uh, together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that was lost. And if you go back and look at the grammar of that, it's, it's feminine. What does it mean? She called her lady friends over to the house and they rejoiced and rejoiced loudly. She has found her coin. As I was pondering that, and, and it reminded me of a, a something that happened to me a couple years ago. We, we go to the lake sometime. We got a little place up there. And uh, we have a side-by-side. -side. It's like a four-wheeler deal. And that's what we do. We ride around the community on the side-by-side. -side. Uh, we, we hook up the sea dew. We take it down to the river. And, you know, it's just our mode of transportation when we go to the lake. And so all the family was there. And so we were loading up the pontoon, which takes, you know, we, 
boy, we've got a lot of stuff put on that pontoon, plus us. And so everybody gets on. I'm usually the last one to get on. And so I am uh, <clears throat> unhooking the pontoon from the marina. Everybody's uh, getting in. We've got a couple places that we latch it on to. And so I undo this one here. And I'm down here and I'm undoing this one. You know, when I stand up like that, all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, the key. Oh, my goodness. It didn't fall on. It didn't fall in the pontoon. It didn't fall on the marina. Bloop. It's in the water. Whoa, I was so mad. You should have been there. <laughs> Look here. I, the day before, I'm, hey, I'm not being sarcastic. I saw a turtle this big around our marina, right? I got to get this key, right? And so the water's about six foot deep there. So we push the pontoon away from, and I get in the water, and I'm holding on to the side, and I can't touch the bottom. So I actually have to go underwater a little bit. And so I, I'm holding on to the side. I go underwater. Oh, it's brutal. It felt like sticks, like 10 inches of sticks. I had to get my toe underwater, get my toes, and feel around. This is probably a crazy visual for the camera there. But then, feeling around for that key. I just knew that, that big old turtle I saw the day before, he's going to take my toes off. But I'm looking for that key, I guess, for an hour. And I was so upset. Finally, I said, y'all just go on. And so they go off and I'm just stay there looking for the key, right? And so I'm sitting there. I'm very discouraged. There's a guy coming down the marina and I said, sir, you ain't got a magnet or something like that. And he said, actually, I do. And so he went and got in his boat. And he put out a magnet. It's about that big around. And so it's got a string on it. So I'm on the side. And I'm, I'm uh, going up, up and down them sticks, pulling it up. Nothing. Mm, nothing. I said, I can't do this the whole weekend. I said, well, we're just going to have to ride it off, I guess, and pull the sea back with a record. I mean, the thing. And that last time I pulled it up, and there was the key stuck to it. You know what I did? <laughs> Honey, I found the key. I got it. <laughs> I got the key. I got it. I was so happy. Rejoice. Mercy. Just so I tell you, there's more joy before the angels of God over one sinner. One sinner. Mm. Don't miss this. There is more joy before the angels of God. Who's doing that? Is it the angels? It's God. It's God. God is rejoicing. He's the one in the celebration. They are observing God celebrate over one, one sinner. Amen. Zephaniah 3, 16, 17. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord is your God. He is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt you with a whisper. No, with loud singing. This is our God who rejoices and sings and celebrates over one, not a thousand, not 500, not a hundred, but one. Does that not blow 
your mind. The creator of everything rejoices. We don't picture God like that a lot of times, do we? He's God. He's sovereign. He's, he's on his throne. He's dignified. You know, he's got all those things. And I'm thinking the day that I got saved, he probably went like that. No, he rejoiced. He rejoiced. But here's the deal. Just so we don't think it's about us. In reality, at the end of the day, the celebration is the direct result of our loving Father who in his great mercy and grace saves sinners. He is the reason the rejoicing is going on. It everything points to him. One sheep, one coin, and now we see a son. One percent, ten percent, fifty percent. God's ramping it up here. And I'm sure the, the Pharisees, uh, they don't like it. And guess what? They're about to show up big time in this parable right here. Keep in mind uh, what we said earlier. Honor and shame is a big deal in the cult. It should be in ours. But really back in that time, you don't want to bring shame. You don't want to dishonor uh, your father. Uh, you just don't do that. It's terrible. Um, and point four is rejoice. My son was dead and now is alive. Notice there's, there's three characters in this. We have, we have the father and we have two sons. One's younger and one's older, okay? Verse 11 says, and he said, there's a man who had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Well, this is not right. I mean, I'm sure I'm thinking the Pharisees are like, wait a minute. This ain't right. The younger son is doing this. Well, he's getting all this stuff out of order. You're out of rank. This is very selfish. This is, this is very disrespectful to your father. This is terrible. How shameful would he do? Why would he do that? The Pharisee would probably, if the Pharisee would probably immediately punish the son. Beat them to smithereens. You get this state. You get this state when the fathers die. It's like saying, "Daddy," because you when really, you get this state after the death of the person who owns it. So what is he saying? In reality, I wish you were dead. I want my stuff. I want my stuff. I want my freedom. I don't want to be here. I don't want you. I want to do what I want to do. And I want, what, I want my stuff. And I want it now. Man, what a disrespectful son. But look what the father does. He divides the property between them. One third, he's the younger. One third would go to him. And even the older brother who's there, he, he gets his two thirds. Why would the father do this? And the Pharisee would ask themselves, why in the world would you do this before your death? I'm sure they were outraged. Verse 13 says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey to the far country. And there he squandered his property and reckless living. He didn't waste any time. In a matter of a few days, just a few short days, he sold the stuff. Think about all that was a father would have. It ain't like 
us today, kind of. They have land, they have animals, they have all different th things. So he gets his third. Very quickly, he sells it. Uh, and it doesn't take him long to get rid of it. It's probably sold it cheaply to get rid of it. And he hit the road. I'm going away from here. I'm getting away from this country where I'm not going to be accountable. There's going to be no restraints on my life. I'll do what I want. I'll do whatever I want, and I don't have to answer to anybody. 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him nothing. So he blows all of his money. And you think it can't get any worse. I'm broke. But you don't control the famine, you know. Guess what? He's broke, and a famine hits. <clears throat> We think it's bad when we go to Dollar General, like I did the other day, and I'm walking down the bread aisle, and there's all these empty shelves. I'm like, oh, we're in a famine. No, <laughs> no. Famines are bad. True famines are bad. We, we've never seen them. Well, maybe some of you real, real older folks in here have. But, uh, and, I don't, I, and I don't see any of those here, so uh, we, we've never experienced a true famine. They would... Uh, and scripture talks about it. Also, some writers in the first, first and second century talks about some of the famines that went on. They would eat all their animals. That's where they would probably start. Even, even eating inanimate objects because of their hungriness. The Bible records, as bad as it is, eating the afterbirth. Also, guess what? Eating each other. Yeah, it gets bad. We don't know what a famine was. But he was in a famine. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country. Do a little word study of that. Hired himself out. It's like glue. So what did he, what did he do? He glued himself to somebody, right? Uh, he's what? A beggar. Some of you, if you, you go to a big city or a town or, you know, you, you know, you'll see beggars. What do they do? Man, they latch on to you, right? We got a book on our coffee table where uh, Cindy and Reagan went to Haiti there's not hard, and these kids are beautiful and wonderful, but boy, they cling, you know, and they beg, give me, give me, give me, and they don't let go, right? This is what he's become. He's clinging to himself, to, uh, to people, and they sent him out, sent him out. <clears throat> so he's out in this field. He's with pigs. Uh, I'm sure that's another uh, slap in the face to the Pharisees. He, he, and pigs eat pods, and they can, but humans can't, by the way. Uh, look, you can look that up. Pods, the human body can't uh, digest pods. So even, even the food that the pigs ate, uh, he couldn't eat. He couldn't digest them. And so he really has some time to think. He's looking at his situation. He's evaluating where he's at, and he's thinking. Wow. 17. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise. I'll go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he came to himself. And guess what that is? That's the start of repentance. 
That's where it all starts. When you begin to evaluate who you are, that's where repentance starts. I'm no longer, I've sinned against heaven and before you. He realizes now what he's done. I'm no longer uh, to be called your son. Treat me, treat me as one of your hired servants. He's wanting to go home. But what does he want to do? He wants to go back and he wants to work. Treat me as a hired servant. I'll go back. I'll work. I'll pay it back. Just want to come home. I just want to come home. Verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. I love this. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Put yourself in the scene. He's way off, right? Before the son ever sees the father, the father was already looking and seeking for his son. The shepherd seeks. The woman seeks. The father seeks. Romans 3.10 says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There's nobody that understands. And scripture doesn't contradict itself. No one seeks after God. The shepherd seeks. The woman seeks. The Father seeks. Guess what? God seeks. God seeks. Man, what did he do? He ran. That's a no-no for a man, by the way. In the culture, men had long robes. You don't run. Men don't run. They got these long robes. It says he ran. If you look at it, he sprinted. This it wasn't one of these slow deals. He sees his son. He's got compassion. He has to pull up his robe. He takes off running as hard as he can. And he reaches his son and embraces him and kisses him. And the Pharisees, now the shame is on the father. You don't do that. You ex- you're running? Who does that? Men don't run. Don't expose your body. You can't do that. And now the blame, the shame shifts to the father in this picture. You don't do that. The Pharisees would have, would have went up to the boy and slapped him a few times and, and took him back to the village and probably flogged him in front of everybody. But this father didn't do it. 21 says, And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer to be called your son, but the father and the servant. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on them. Guess what? Immediate restoration. You don't work for it. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. But here's the deal. By God's grace and mercy, it's freely given to you. Total forgiveness, total restoration. Bring the robe, put it on him. This symbolizes honor. The lost son, guess what? He gives him honor, the full honor. When? Immediately it's done to him. And a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. The ring represents authority. What does that mean? Hey, full honor, guess what? You have my authority. They they wore rings, right? And they, they symbolize his authority. And guess what? Put shoes on them. Put shoes on them. The servants... We're barefooted, but the son has shoes. Guess what? Full honor, 
full authority, full sonship. Guess what? Immediate, total reconciliation by God's grace and mercy restored fully. The Pharisees were losing their minds. 23, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my for this is my son who was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they begin to celebrate. Bring the fatted calf. Most of the times this was reserved for the oldest, the oldest son's wedding, right? And many times when, when a, a child would do something this drastic, it was not uncommon for them to, to have funerals for them because that's how they viewed their, their child is dead. 25. Now his older, and we're closing. 25. Now his older uh, son was in the field. As he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him back and safe and sound. But he was hungry and, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. This is the older brother. I have served you. I've never obeyed. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with the prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him? Guess what? The older brother is the Pharisee. He was furious. He wasn't coming to the party. The older brother was saying, I've been here. I haven't left. I have obeyed you. I have followed the rules. I've never left you. I've never left. You've, no, you've done nothing for me. You've done nothing for me, me, me. He has no relationship with his father at all. And just a little application too. You can be in the house and lost. You can obey all the rules and never leave the house and be headed straight for hell, just like the younger brother was. Maybe, maybe the Pharisees are putting this together. Verse 31. He said to him, son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and found. What great mercy. Even, even showing compassion to the older son, despite his, his, uh, the things that he was saying to him. What happens? Sinners come. They come humbly. The proud will not do this. They are legalist. They have no room in their minds and in their lives for grace and mercy. And so the story kind of ends a little abruptly there. And, and, and you may ask, how did it end? How did that story end? You know what? I would like to think it ended this way. He saw what he did to the son. The son deserved, deserved, deserved the worst. I mean, he's Look what he did. Father, you show such great compassion and mercy to him. Who does that? You're such a good father. 
Lord, forgive me for what I, I mean, Father, forgive me for what I said. I was wrong. Lord, forgive me. God, Father, forgive me. I would like to think that's what happened, but it doesn't say here, but we read the rest. We, we got the scripture. You know what it says? The younger brother kills his father. I mean, the older brother kills his father. What? Didn't say that, but that's what they did. See, if the, the older brother represents the Pharisees, what do the Pharisees do? They killed Jesus, Matthew 27, 25. And all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released from the Barabbas and, have, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified, taking what the sinner deserves. So why did he go to the cross? Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Get that? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. Back to the couple questions. When I asked you today, what brings you joy? What, what went in your mind? Think about it. Really be honest. What came in your mind? What, what brings you joy? Oh, I just got the best children. I'm blessed. My husband, my wife, oh, my work. You know, you start listing these things that you, you rejoice over, right? Did the recovery or the salvation of a sinner ever make your list? It might have. I don't know. I would say maybe, maybe it didn't. Maybe, maybe it didn't. Who has that attitude? Who was mad and furious, or who wasn't about sinners getting saved? It's the Pharisees. They did not want sinners to be saved. So what's your attitude towards the lost? Okay. What, two, what is your attitude towards the lost? Does it resemble the shepherd, the woman, or the father? You know, you turn on the TV, you see a parade, you see rainbow flags, you see men dressed like women. What enters your mind? Wipe them off the map. How dare they do that to God? How dare they do that to God? Them sinners. Or you have a coworker that you don't care for. You know, he's lost, but he gets on my nerves. I wish they would put him somewhere else. And just like the Pharisees who prided themselves on the law and being the teachers of the law, they withheld the law from the sinner. Question, do you and I withhold God from sinners? We ask this question every week. How many of you this week have shared the gospel with a sinner? Don't raise your hand. It may look like it does on Wednesday night. Hands down. Sounds like the older brother. We need to examine our life. We, are we the, are we the, we have the attitude of the Pharisee? Or do we rejoice uh, when sinners are saved? Anyway, a lot to think about. Uh, a lot to think about. I was at a, delivered some pictures to a lady at uh, the uh, assisted care living this week. 
I went into her room, sat down with her for 30 minutes. We had this great talk. And, um, and so I was getting up. I said, look, I, and she, I gave her the pictures. She paid me the money. I, and before I left, I said, look, I owe you something. And she says, what? You don't owe me anything. I said, you know Paul in the Bible? I said, he was, he was indebted. He had a debt, and that debt was the gospel. I said, I've got to tell you something. And so I shared Christ with her, and she said, and I said, has there ever been a time in your life when you trusted Christ and turned in humility, submitted, and come to the Father? And she said, yeah. I said, when? And she explained it. And we rejoice, praise God. Praise the Lord. So, anyway, thank you so much. It's a great text. Evaluate your life. Uh, have you ever come to Christ? Your works, your being good, your being here, you obeying the rules, doesn't make you saved. Only when you come to Christ and as a sinner and repent and trust him, do you, are you truly a follower? Anyway, Chris, anything else? All right, thank you guys. Uh, happy Father's Day. But if your circumstances are a little different, guess what? You're in the family, and that's why we're here. We, we, you know, I, I thank God for, like, uh, Mr. Hartsfield in the back, his daddy, Carl, and you, by the way, and uh, Leon Welch. These guys, when I came here, I know you're like, you got to shut up. When I came here, I was a young whippersnapper, thought I knew it all. And there's Carl and Leon Welch, and I'm working. I'm like, these guys think they know everything, you know. And guess what? They almost did. It took a little time for me to understand that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that your word is so clear. Yes, yes. You receive sinners. You will never turn one away who comes to you. Thank you for being a loving father who immediately wipes away our sin and adopts us in the family and blesses us with everything. Thank you, Jesus. And if there's anybody here today that doesn't know you, they might be associated with you, they might be in the house, and they might be obey the rules, but they are lost until they come to you and trust you and and repent and believe on who you are and the evidence of what they do is they begin to follow the shepherd. My sheep, they hear and they come. Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.